0: Do you dream of JavaScript, like world domination in JavaScript?
1: Why don't you introduce yourself? Welcome to the Full Stack Jamstack Podcast, Kim. We're happy to have you.
0: Hi. Well, thank you for uh, having me. Well, what do you want to know?
1: Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, who are you? What you do? Anything like that?
0: I am Kim Madeline Miguel. Um, I am a software engineer at Microsoft. I work on the Python extension for VS Code. In terms of Redwood, I was active mostly like a couple months ago, a lifetime ago in Redwood scale. I mostly introduced TypeScript to the code base and I also did a little bit of tinkering with Azure PostgreSQL database. Recently, I've mostly been Watching everybody play around with Redwood and a lot of watching. Watching Redwood, watching Brexit, watching the U.S. elections, you know? Just just sitting there and being like, what is going on?
1: And you did give a talk about Redwood fairly recently, so you have contributed something.
0: That's true. I gave a talk. Sadly, it was on Twitch. The recording is not online anymore. I did write to them saying, hey, you said you would put it on YouTube. And they were like, yeah, we need to edit them, so it'll get there maybe one day.
1: Yeah, it can take a while.
0: It did happen, it did happen.
1: Cool, so you touched on a lot of the things that I wanna get into in this episode, but before we dive into all that stuff, I like to just get people's history, how they got into programming, what kind of sparked their original passion in this. So like, when was the first time you were exposed to programming?
0: The first time I programmed was in high school. I think it was ninth or 10th grade. There was like some kind of optional module where we would do like visual basic for, two hours on every other Friday. It was fun, it was all right, but then what actually brought me where I am today was that computer science was the subject I sucked less at in university. I went to to an engineering school where you could learn mechanical engineering, you could learn chemistry or bioengineering or urban planning and computer science computer science was the subject I was best at. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do that. And also you earn a lot of money and it's easy to find a job. So it was a very practical decision. Five years later, I got my master's degree in software engineering. Yeah, since then I've been working as a software engineer. Very traditional path.
2: Good old Canadia.
0: Oh, so so for that.
2: Was it in Canadia?
0: Canadia. So I got my master's degree from a French university. I am French and then I worked in Denmark for three years then I moved to Canada four years ago something like that and I've been working in Vancouver ever since
1: the better side of Canada
0: yeah west coast
1: rain Rain coast cool so when you're programming in college like what kind of languages were you working with
0: so we did a little bit of Pascal is that how you pronounce it Pascal Pascal yeah I think we did C++ as well that was the first time I touched subversion I still don't know how it works my first foray into like source, like version control. I was like, yeah, I don't know what is, I don't know what is going on. It seems to be a recurring theme is what I'm saying today. We did a little bit of web development, like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, of course. also did some Lisp, something like that, and some Java. I am glad I haven't touched Java in a while.
1: That's cool. Sounds like you got exposed to a really wide range then of different languages. That's especially cool you did web development stuff, because that's something that I feel like I don't usually hear people who study in college that that's something they kind of like cover in the curriculum. I think it depends.
2: I learned almost identical languages in university in the UK. Instead of Pascal, I learned Haskell. (laughs) I don't know if they're similar, but...
1: don't know. That would have been more similar to Lisp than Pascal.
2: There you go. I totally get what you mean about C++, C and C sharp, it's just like, not my languages.
0: I didn't like the low level part of it, the memory management part of it. Like, memory management, don't talk to me. Pointers? Nah, don't talk to me either.
2: What about O-notation and...
0: These are the concepts we learn like in like second or third year of university, right? And these are the only things that matter if you want to work at a big company. And even then, they don't really matter because, well, I'm here today at Microsoft.
2: You learn about O-notation just enough that you can formulate the question on
1: Stack Overflow. Exactly. How did you find your way to Redwood? Did you hear about it on a podcast or like see a blog post about it? Like what was your first exposure to that?
0: So my first exposure to Redwood, the very long way, or I can give in the bridge way. No,
1: yeah, you can give the long way. Podcasts are for the long way.
0: Yay. Okay, I get to talk. So I actually, I was looking for conferences to speak at this year because before 2020 happened. So in 2019, I was like, okay, next year I want to I wanna do public speaking. So I'm going to look for conferences. What can I talk about? I can talk about JavaScript and TypeScript because that's what I work on, on a daily basis. So I can talk about Python because it's also something I work on on a regular basis. So I found CascadiaJS, which is a JavaScript conference in the Pacific Northwest. So I'm like, cool, I'm going to take a look at it, join their Slack workspace and see see what's going on. And one day they retweeted Tom. No, Redwood. It was Redwood, so it's probably David behind the scenes. They were tweeting Redwood asking for contributors to their TypeScript efforts. So I was like, oh yeah, TypeScript. I know what's going on. I can probably do something. And uh, so I was like, uh, okay, I need to create a discourse account. And I'm going like, hello, I'm new, but I can help with TypeScript. I have no idea what you're doing, but uh, I can help with that. And it would probably also give me some good practice. And everybody was like, cool, we'll, we'll get back to you whenever we need help. And I was like, that's fine. I tried anyway. And so I moved on. And then a couple of weeks later, they pinged all the people who said they could help. like, Hey, we're ready for TypeScript now. Oh. So they actually did not forget. So, so now I actually have to commit. Okay. I was like, okay, fine. I said I would help. So I, I actually will help. That's where I first contributed to, to Redwood in uh, like introducing the first TypeScript types and then adding a few things here and there and just staying not too far from, from Redwood and participating community meetups and, and also playing around with Redwood and Azure because there, there wasn't a lot of Azure integration at that point, And just, yeah, being there.
2: With my journey to Redwood, you wrote the initial types and then I wrote the other types that hadn't been typed since. And then I left all the hard ones for the next person to come along <laughs> and just finish the situation. <laughs> the point of this is it's iterative. You don't have to do everything. You could just do what you can and that is enough. Kim did the first, I did the middle. And I think Peter's done the rest of them in some of the forms now. Yeah, types are magical because you can just leave
1: them as any or unknown if you don't know.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, very forgiving.
1: Talking about TypeScript, this kind of segues into you work for Microsoft, and you said you're on the Python VS Code extensions. Sounds like a pretty cool project to be on. So, can you talk a little about like what your like day to day is like, what kind of stuff you're working on?
0: I'm not on the VS Code core team. So I'm part of the developer division, which works on developer tools. So Visual Studio, VS Code, among other things. And also like just TypeScript, the language itself and other tools as well. So we are a team of four or five people working on the extension, like a couple of developers, a project or product or program manager, PM. First, we start the day with like stand up and we triage issues like every day. Every day we triage issues on GitHub because we have users who like come to us via the VS Code issue reporting system, they also write like open issues directly on GitHub, and sometimes we also have like internal issues as well, so there's a lot of external presence that we have to manage. Our sprints are 1 week long. It's all a balance between like fixing existing issues, adding improvements and enhancements, depending on what users want and prioritize, right? So if any of the Python of extension in VS Code users listen to us, please go upvote the features and issues you would like to be resolved faster because the communities of both help us prioritize uh, what we should work on. And then because I'm, well, I'm an engineer, so I write code, do my little coding, little codey things, that's pretty much it. Sometimes we have meetings as well.
2: In Microsoft, what's the difference between an engineer and a programmer?
0: I haven't seen any programmers.
2: Am I an engineer? Am I a programmer? Or am I both?
0: I mean, I wanted to say I'm a code monkey, but maybe that's a bit disparaging to all people who write code. When you get hired, your titles are somewhat normalized. There is a hierarchy between all the titles, right? So when you start writing code, then you're a software engineer. No matter where you are. So I feel that if you're a programmer you might be like a consultant maybe being sent away to work on clients projects, I don't know, but I know that the people who write code are software engineers. There's software engineer, then there's software engineer too, then there's senior, then there's principal, then there's the people who you never see because they're way too high up in the hierarchy and stuff like that.
2: Some companies would say oh all of our programmers are programmers and then other companies will say like they're all engineers, but they never define if it's the same role because you could literally look at two different job adverts. They're asking for all the same thing, but one company says you're an engineer and the other company says you're a programmer or a ninja.
0: Yeah, are a rock star, yeah.
1: What if you're a developer?
0: Yeah, I guess developer. Developer is the, was the more appropriate word, but yeah, I guess all titles, as I've seen so far, are software engineers. Then you can be like, I'm an engineer. Look at me, I engineer things.
2: I like to go with the term web wizard, more original.
0: Is it like creepy but for web?
2: Do you know about Anthony? Why wizards exist in the web world? Are we just
1: talking about like wizards
2: as like old school hacker kind of term? When it was like Netscape,
1: the developers were called
2: like wizards by like default. The term like web wizards were like what they were called who would program websites. Really? That could totally be all fictional. Off the top of my head, that's what I remember.
1: The book about the history of the web is called Where Wizards Stay Up Late. Wizards, it was just a term that people used to use for like, it was kind of like hackers. So there's there's a lot of nomenclature around this stuff going back to like the 50s and 60s that kind of was based around like MIT and stuff like that. I think that's where, where wizard came from. There you go. Maybe there's a source of truth to what I did just say.
0: Really? I thought it was from the installation wizard window, you know, the very first thing back in the day when you tried to install a software, wizard, it was called wizard. that would like take you through all the steps for installing a software.
1: They still use that term, like a wizard, for like a kind of gooey way to set something up. Yeah, that's still a common term, yeah.
0: Yeah, I thought it came from that.
1: Something
2: in my mind says it's like, or is it a webmaster, not a wizard? Yeah, maybe it's
1: webmaster.
0: Yeah, webmaster, yeah.
1: Webmaster is definitely a term, yeah.
0: It's okay, that's how legends are born, you know. You can rewrite history. Now now you can say
2: you're a web wizard. I would love to say that I'm a web wizard. Just put that as my
1: LinkedIn title. I'll magic away all your problems for money. There's nothing stopping you. You can make your title whatever you want to be.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: One of the interesting things, you work on one of the VS Code teams, so
2: you are writing JavaScript to compiled Python, or is it just for a, like an IntelliSense system?
0: So VS Code is an electron app. So it's written in TypeScript, which is then compiled onto JavaScript. So for any extension to work in it, it has to be written in JavaScript or TypeScript. So that's why the Python extension, the C++ extension, the Docker extension, all the extensions are written in TypeScript. We integrate with Python tools. Like we, we execute some tools for the user, like uh, Linting, like IntelliSense. We have we have a language server running as well that can provide completion, IntelliSense and other like helpers when you write your code. We also have a a test runner that can discover and run your unit tests. We have a, a debugger that's uh, like an integrated debugger, which is actually the same as the debugger for the Python tools in Visual Studio, where you can well debug your code, set breakpoints, add conditions, what, what have you. Debug like can debug a, a process running like independently of VS Code and stuff like that. We can run Python Python files as well. So it's mostly a interfacing between VS Code and Python tools, you'd say, written in TypeScript.
2: Python tools is obviously written in Python. Yes. So it's JavaScript communicating with Python that's installed onto the system. Yes. Not that the Python code is being interpreted in JavaScript and then outputting JavaScript
1: to understand it. No, no. Yeah, that would be like WebAssembly. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> WebAssembly is basically everything can compile down to JavaScript because it's like a, a bytecode that compiles to JavaScript. So you could write Python or any language you want and it would compile down to WebAssembly, which is essentially compiling down to to JavaScript.
2: I don't even know how that would run on the internet.
1: You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not up to you. So yeah, WebAssembly is interesting. But let's uh, bring it back to uh, your work at Microsoft. and You were also saying that there wasn't a lot of Azure kind of integrations with Redwood. And I was kind of curious, just like more broadly, how you see like Azure fitting into this whole Jamstack kind of world.
0: I feel that Azure right now is very like traditional cloud provider, kind of like AWS provides like databases and some ways for you to store stuff that are not just databases, but it is starting to to pick up in terms of, of Jamstack. Like they have one of their new offerings, which is Azure Static Web Apps. It basically allows you to deploy from your Git repo and on, in the cloud, it offers you like, so not only does it offer you like serverless functions, but also a way to host and scale your front end, which is in a nutshell, like in broad strokes, what the gem stack is, I think.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it's a service that is meant to be similar to what you get from something like a Netlify or a Vercel in terms of really easy way to get your front end up on the internet. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about kind of like deployment and, and all that stuff. is done kind of for you. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really great. Um, I haven't tried it yet, but it's definitely something I'm, I'm interested in because I think it's interesting how Azure, they're in a position where... They have a lot of clients from Microsoft, so they're kind of in the enterprise space. Yeah, I feel like everyone's looking towards this kind of Jamstack space and seeing, you know, what's trying to suss it out.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: It's kind of interesting to see like the big players and, and how they're, you know, coming at it.
0: Yeah, I don't know if like AWS or GCP have something similar. They probably do because everybody has the same things over and over anyway. But it's really interesting that they're not like the Jamstack is not forgotten, right? They're they're getting to it. Maybe not as fast or, or not as readily as yeah Netlify, Versal, or other Jamstack providers, but they're getting there.
1: Yeah, it was like how Angular eventually made a static site generator. Scully. Just took him a while. I just really just wanted to say it like a controversial
2: joke, but I won't say it.
0: Oh, you can't say that and not say it.
2: I know, but it's really bad because it's like tinfoil hat. I've not had my COVID vaccine yet, so I wouldn't know to look at a Zora yet. I don't
1: get it. Yeah, I don't get it.
2: All the anti-vaxxers in the UK think Bill Gates is putting
1: chips in the vaccines. Oh. Oh, that's funny. This this is a long-standing thing, actually. I remember a dude, when I was on tour, like, four or five years ago, trying to tell me... It, this was back when, like, the Ebola virus was, like, going off or something. He was trying to tell me that. It was, like, all a Bill Gates plot. <laughs> i was
2: like what the, the biggest thing going around the uk is like oh it's all bill gates you know he's putting chips in you but elon musk is like is literally drilling holes in brains and attaching something to the brain but i don't know it's
1: just a joke
0: yeah something something 5g towers as well
1: Going along with the uh, Azure line, you did the integration with Postgres DB. I'm always really interested in database stuff. So I think this is, this is cool because Redwood was kind of architected around Postgres anyway. Like the tutorial has you do, you know, Heroku Postgres. So I'm kind of curious, like hosting it on Azure. They're both Postgres, so I'd assume they would be similar, but you never know with this kind of stuff. So I'm kind of curious, like how hard or easy was this integration?
0: I think it was pretty, it was rather easy rather than pretty easy. So I guess I have to face that with uh, the fact that I am not a database managing person, I have no idea what it does. I'm much more comfortable doing front end. So this was also a way for me to learn kind of like how to, to set up a database. Right. And as you said, since it's also Postgres, I I found, I was like, okay, this might be an introduction to uh, setting up a, a database. It wasn't so difficult. The the most difficult part was knowing which settings do what. Of course, if you know how databases work, then it's like a walk in the park. If you're like me and you're like, what does this button do? I need help. Then, then it's going to take a little bit of time. What took the longest was actually writing the article and taking nice screenshots. It was all done in like a couple of hours and it would have been so much faster again, if I knew what I was doing, but it was really, really, pretty, pretty seamless, like both. Setting up the database and then plugging Redwood into it. The process is the same, basically the same as what is outlined in the tutorial, which is very well written and very thoroughly written. So there were really not not many hurdles except for, for the ones I set up myself. Really selling my skills here.
1: <laughs> you got up and running. Anyone who's kind of, you know, messed with database stuff, you know, they, they know the struggles. Yeah. yeah. It was funny that just yesterday they had the whole... Server side React thing dropped, which was like a huge deal. Yeah. Swix was doing like a live stream, and he was like, uh, "How do I get Postgres set up?" Yeah. Sean Grove was like on the live stream, like giving him step by step instructions, and you know, it's yeah, it's true. Like this stuff isn't isn't simple, and the database layer is it's so crucial and so like consequential that people I feel like they kind of shy away from it because they're like, "I don't want to touch the database," you know, because that's where you could you could break something. Yeah. Like you said, you just have to get in there and kind of poke stuff, and eventually you figure it out.
0: It's also a lot, I feel, of um, set it and forget it. So you you dread doing it, you do it, you, you cry a little bit, and you're like, okay, I never have to do this ever again. And the day you have to do this again, you're like, oh no, and and this happens again.
1: When I mean, you have to write like uh, hundreds of lines of webpack config, and you're just like, uh, don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah. We've talked a little bit about like TypeScript and how that was kind of your foot into Redwood. I think it's definitely a great way to get in for people who, who know TypeScript cause the team is definitely, they're not like a TypeScript crowd and they're kind of like learning with everyone else. I'm kind of curious, just like your opinion on why do you think like TypeScript is such a big deal right now in JavaScript?
0: That's a very good question. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I cannot speak on behalf of the JavaScript community. So actually, I would like to hear both of your points of view before I get to answer. Maybe I'll steal some of them.
1: We've talked about it on, on the show quite a few times. Like For us, it's the developer tooling that comes along with it. The autocomplete, the IntelliSense, the, the documentation. You get a lot of really nice stuff for when you're actually developing with it. I'm sure Chris probably has more stuff than that. I
2: would... Agree that the uh, Redwood team is very type unknown. <laughs> 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 or they any. <laughs> uh, you got that one. <laughs> See, this is typescript. It's easy to uh, work out what something is. You know, is it a string? Is it a ball? And I think IntelliSense and documentation and types can be really helpful in terms of DX experience, where it also is super helpful, you know, you define something as a number and it's never going to swap to something else, or you define something as a string, and it stays as a string. The thing that always gets me is when there's a boolean as a string, but it could also be unknown. So you have a string that's unknown, that has a boolean value in How do you work that out? Are you literally then going to be doing an if statement in a string? Is this true or false? It gets really, really complicated sometimes. A lot of the time, we forget how JavaScript is because I work so much on TypeScript projects that when I actually start touching normal JavaScript, I feel like half my tool set is missing. It's this really hard thing that while... We had multiple type systems, like Flow and TypeScript. Everybody's now just going one way, and that way is TypeScript. But Microsoft has built a very good community, and it's very open. But then it comes down to the thing, who should write the types? If it's not wrote in TypeScript, is it the maintainer's responsibility to write the types, or is it the community's? We're currently in this very grey area. There's this whole type repo that sometimes you add a type and it works, then other times it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And what happens if it doesn't work? Then it's module any. Yeah. (laughs) So you don't deal with the types. I feel the hardcore TypeScript people, I guess I kind of sit in there, are like, everything should be typed to as far as possible. But sometimes it's also good to slowly work into it you may say just the props would be typed at the beginning of a component and then you slowly add types into where the props come from so far up and far up it's like where does typescript help the most i would say with the shenanigans of javascript
0: yeah definitely so i guess i have an opinion that's similar to both of you Okay, look at that. I feel that TypeScript really helps straightening down what you should expect from your code. As you said, a bool as a string, or something that can be undefined or null, or maybe a string, or maybe an empty string. What am I dealing with right now? Do I need to like, yeah, five if conditions. It's really helped a lot. Now that I started using TypeScript, in the beginning I was like, why does this look like C-sharp? Then it turns out because the person who created it also worked on C-sharp, right? (laughs) So it makes sense. Now that I'm used to types, I cannot go back to the the wilderness of JavaScript and having everything all over the place and having to double check every single thing. But yeah, if you have types that are incorrect, they're useless. Then you might as well put any everywhere.
2: But any is a good way to get started.
0: It's a good way, but you basically, it's it's just JavaScript at this time. You don't, you don't have the the saved net of using TypeScript. You're just adding types for the sake of, you change the extension of your file from JS to TS and you put any everywhere. And then, but then calling in a day, it wouldn't be TypeScript. And then, yeah, you said some people like typing, typing everything all the way. I feel that it might be too restrictive. I personally like uh, relying on the compiler inferring things itself. This way, you know, if the assumptions you made when you type the first things are actually correct, if the compiler can understand your types, it means that you typed it well. If you're forcing types all over the place, then then I feel that like there's something missing in your logic.
2: Just to give an example of it being inferred and strict would be that you're going to create a new variable, but you just leave it as you don't add a type. But then where it comes from, the data is being made up. From is already an int, for example. The compiler will go, I got data from an int, so this is going to be an int. But you can say, no, 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 this is a string. It will then, when compiled, say, now I'm going to convert these ints that come in into a string. So you can leave more things to be inferred, and that's why I think using types and interfaces in the props normally works really well to start trickling things down.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. That works.
2: One of the questions that I have is, if you say TypeScript is this Goliath that I think it is, and then we say, how much knowledge do you have of TypeScript and all the things it can do, I would literally place myself... 5 out of 10. I know it can do so much more than just the basics like of typing. It can obviously do unions and like so much more. Yeah. Do you find you go out to look on how to learn to do them types? Or when you have a problem that needs solving, then you look for that solution in TypeScript?
0: Looking for a solution in TypeScript from the get-go or looking to solve the problem and then adding types?
2: For example, you could put an interface and then you could put hard cornered bracket, whatever it is, arrow. And then you could put like T and then arrow. That's passing props into that type. Mm-hmm. Them kind of things. They're more complex than just the standard like type and in interface.
0: I will usually try to solve the problems using basic types for like an interface or yeah, some some type that I declared like that's a union or something. The more complex types and more like complex like operations using TypeScript, sure, they're more powerful, but they're also a little bit less readable. At least in the Python extension for VS Code, since it's an open source extension, we also need to be mindful of the community looking at our code and wanting to contribute, wanting to help, right? So sure, I could probably use obscure types and like flex my TypeScript mastery. I think I'd say I'm at like five five and a half out of 10 as well. Like there's so much, as you said, there's so much you can do. But I feel that readability is more important. At least, again, in the work that I'm doing, we don't need powerful types. We don't need like super complicated interfaces or other like complicated
2: types. You just get lost.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then it's just like a mix of T, U, and V and you're like, what is going on in there? It's been a while since I said what's going on.
2: My favourite one is like, which one should you use? Interfaces or types? They're both the same thing! Or are they?
0: I actually look this up every so often. There are some finer points to it.
1: Interfaces can be extended when types can't be. Yeah. Yeah, because I think of an interface as being something object-oriented, because interfaces you have in, like, Java, so... When I learned a little bit of Java, I learned like interfaces and and abstract classes. So that's why I kind of think of that more as like an object-oriented thing and not so much a type thing. Have you wrote much TypeScript, Anthony? Not a ton. I've played with it a little bit. And like I said, I I learned a little bit of Java. So the concepts from typing Java carry over to a certain extent, but it's not exactly the same.
2: The other thing with TypeScript is it's so varied. You would almost say that react typescript is its own like subsection of typescript you could write what typescript in angular and i think that's completely different to how they lay out their files and
1: when they transitioned to angular 2 which is now just known as angular typescript was essentially baked in so everyone who has been using angular has been using typescript for like many many years And because Facebook created Flow, there was always kind of this disconnect between the React community and TypeScript, and people would also do, like, prop types, so they kind of had workarounds that allowed them to not necessarily need TypeScript. Yeah. As TypeScript has just, like, continued to expand, it's now eating into the React ecosystem.
0: It took over Flow. I don't really know how that happened, though.
1: I think it was... I know this sounds
2: so bad, but more people just asking for files to be typed. Because if you say, look at your project and 90% of your imports are already typed, you then think, maybe I should use TypeScript, you know? But if 10% are typed, then you're like, "Mm, not really gaining so much. So it's kind of like the effect of, there's a fancy word that it's not coming to me, but.
0: When the ball starts rolling, then it has more, what's it called?
2: momentum whatever it is
0: inertia yeah momentum momentum inertia yeah
2: inertia yeah <laughs> there we go
0: i told you i thought i'm not good at mechanical engineering
2: <laughs> it's funny because we both did a computer science degree and we we're both kind of like oh we don't know how these things work we just code <laughs> yeah anthony who did a boot camp is like a walking encyclopedia
1: of like how everything works and it's just like
0: I know, right?
1: I just don't get it sometimes. Certain people are just kind of like curious and want to dig into kind of the more theoretical stuff, as as you always say, I'm, I'm all theory. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious, uh, Kim, if you are interested in like other open source projects, because obviously you've contributed a little bit to Redwood and the stuff you're doing with Microsoft, that's already very kind of open source focused. But I'm just curious, like what else you're looking at in the landscape and what you find interesting?
0: like open source, general open source, and general trends. So I would like to see Redwood 1.0. I am eagerly waiting for it and see what's going to happen. But then earlier we also talked about WebAssembly. I know Chris is maybe gonna be upset, but I'm actually uh, curious to see how it's gonna turn out. Like right now you can write like Rust and C++ and C, I think they can be then compiled to, to WebAssembly. So this is part of, this is kind of a work related interest, but we were looking at how to speed up the pattern extension, and so we were maybe toying with the idea of maybe using WebAssembly one of these days if, if it became possible, because then it would be, yeah, blazingly fast, right? But it's nothing more than a far-fetched dream at the moment.
1: Well, Blazor is already on WebAssembly right now. Oh, wow. As like a, a way to write C Sharp in the browser, that's a Microsoft thing as well, so I'm not sure how familiar you are with that.
0: I've heard the name. I don't write C Sharp.
1: Yeah, it's basically it's for people who are like, you know, longtime C sharp.net kind of developers. hmm By um Steve Sanderson, who is the guy who did knockout JS, so um it's got a good pedigree. And for me, I'm also super interested in WebAssembly. So anytime I hear of a project that's like built on WebAssembly, I kinda like make a mental note of it. Figma is another interesting one that is actually doing WebAssembly.
0: Oh, is it? Wow, okay.
1: Yeah, he yeah, has a C plus C++ app.
0: Oh I see, I thought it was only um,
2: a web app. So WebAssembly is basically like Oh, I can compile anything to JavaScript.
1: Yeah, essentially. It's to compile down to an like assembly version of javascript so you can write any language and have it run in the browser because the thing is that javascript has always been the only language that runs in the browser which is why it's kind of taken over and become the thing that everyone writes in and so by creating people were already compiling down to javascript with things like elm and and other languages so this was a standard that all the browsers would implement that would allow anyone to write to this spec and it's been in all the major browsers for like over a year now.
2: I prefer JavaScript controlling everything. That's my favorite method of JavaScript. Get JavaScript to rule over native code with React Native. It's my, my pinnacle of JavaScript career.
0: And do you dream of JavaScript? Like world domination in JavaScript.
2: I just love the horror sometimes when people say like, what's it all wrote in? And you just like, oh, it's all written TypeScript. That's all JavaScript, and they're like, but efficiency,
0: exactly
2: Electron, and all of these things. You're like JavaScript; it just works.
0: Oh, but it's so slow. Oh, but this this app is using too much memory. Well, we'll get there.
2: We'll, we'll get there. But we can all have problems with VS Code chugging. But sometimes it's really bad. Every time my VS Code chugs, I instantly go. I need to delete 20 plugins and then I'm like typing and I'm like where's that gone and it's like I've deleted that and then I'm researching through the repository to refine the plugins that were doing that thing it's just it's cry times it's cry maybe we'll see a day where vs code gets recoded in something like react native We can dream
0: that'll be interesting I'm curious to see how it goes I'm not privy to those details so I can't I can't tell you any of it
2: if you're ever curious at what Microsoft is doing with React, you should look up React Native Windows.
0: For Windows.
2: See, this is where it doesn't make sense because it's called React Native Windows, but then there's also React Native macOS, I think it is. Yeah. And they they like run like five streams of React Native now. The last time I checked, Windows Office was all built in it from their Windows apps to their phone apps to their web apps. something to look into. And I also learned more about it. Why would you want to run React Native on the web? Because it's less about the DOM tree and more about the views. You think about the interface differently. Hmm. I've been trying to defend my opinions on why React Native web should be a thing.
1: Yeah, this is his pet favorite topic. (laughs) He finds a way to work it into every episode.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Done. React Native. It should be on everything. As I say, just get JavaScript to control everything and then I'll be happy.
0: Is this a, a gimmick of the podcast now that Chris has to put React Native on every episode, like some kind of bet somewhere?
2: Sadly no. I wish. But I did say that. What did I say? I think I said that to Tom. It was like, what do you want from Redwood? I'd like to see React Native web. <laughs> not React Native, just React Native
1: web. No, just React Native Windows. That's that's what everyone's really, really asking for in Redwood. Just, that's what, Toby needs it. <laughs> you say that. We're all Mac people.
2: But, like, the community of Windows apps, if you run Windows every day, it's, like, the bomb. They're so much better. The last time I checked, that was, like, a month ago, Windows apps have came a long way since, like, Windows 8 when they were introduced. So, I defend them now. Minecraft. Windows 10 edition, much better than Java. Come at me.
0: Oh man, the Java one was so painful to deal with. That's also kind of why I stopped playing Minecraft.
1: Thanks so much for being here with us, Kim. Uh, as we close out, is there anything else you, you want to talk about? Anything you're excited about?
0: No. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having
1: me. They just give us your you know, information, how people can get in contact with you, how they can follow you.
0: Oh, sure. People can see me, find me on Twitter. I'm also on GitHub, but there's nothing really interesting here, otherwise they can catch me in the Redwood Discord, the FSJam Discord, and the Redwood Community Forums. Awesome. Awesome. That is, that is pretty cool. Do you think it works on that Xbox fridge as well? Because <laughs> okay, so this is a big meme. So the, the Xbox, you know, the black one, I think it's the Series X. Then people compared it to a fridge. It's kind of like when they compared the PS5 to a, to a router. And then they made a whole skit. I think there was like Snoop Dogg who got an Xbox shaped fridge um, with actual Xboxes in it and other stuff. Uh, it, yeah, that. There is an Xbox fridge.